cue the accordion. I've always wanted to say that. Kick back and get comfy while hosts Heather Wenig and her co-hosts from the Early Childhood Nerd Collective explore ways to cause and effect. Dig that funky accordion. wanting to record about poop stories so that's what i was prepared for and then we, we start- can take oh we can take a poop break before this episode's over we can invite the audience to come take a poop break with us and it'll be wonderful okay that's a great idea you you work that in when you when you feel yeah. the time is right but anyway well, we started talking we realized maybe we didn't have a full half hour of poop content so we're going to talk about structure and routines instead. <laughs> poop fits into that. Um, poop so- has structure. <laughs> Some people poop on a routine. Exactly. Exactly. Um, so if you hear background noise, folks, sorry, my drunk son is making a pizza behind me. And then my dog is just upset about something. Right. I'm Travis's sure. drunk dog is out of control. <laughs> Um, okay, so here's our quote. We're ready. We're doing it. This is <laughs> this is from Reflecting Children's Lives by Margie Carter and Deb Curtis, who I love very much. And Margie and Deb, I'm sorry that you're coming in on the end of poop and drunk things and that whole intro, if you're listening. My apologies. Okay, here's our quote. Are our decisions developing capable people, or are they suppressing competency in order to make life easier or more convenient for adults? So I thought that quote might work because I think a lot of times what we set up as daily routines in child in programs for children are focused more on how do we get this group through the day in the quickest, easiest, most convenient way possible. Yeah. 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 I mean, there's not really much to clap back with that just because it's so sad. I know. It's, it's, yeah. it's, well, but I, and I think bad. here's here's where I step in and I say I'm not saying you're evil if you have a routine. I'm just saying here's some things to think about. That's what we're going to do. We're going to give them things yeah. to think about. And I I have a lot of times when I have people coming to work for me, um, they'll always ask what is the structure and what is the routine, and I always have to like step outside of myself for a minute because even when I was a very strict teacher I never valued routine above happiness like I it was it was never something that was part of my world and I'm not sure exactly why that is mm-hmm. but when I when I hear these people ask these questions a lot of times and it's parents too a lot of times they are expecting that at 7.30 we do this. At 8 o'clock we do this. At 8.30 we do circle time. At 8.45 we go and do math. Mm-hmm. Math pro, like whatever. And I have to ask them what exactly they mean by a routine. Because a lot of times it's that. 
other times it's that it's maybe less to the to the minute and as someone who studies neuroscience especially in the primary ages the kind of routine that we need to develop properly is one where we know when we're going to eat that is really important it's re- like it's pretty much the most important uh-huh. primarily like at the very base of everything we cannot develop well unless we know when we're going to eat so the general times of the day where it's going to happen the most important that's why a lot of um like uh child hunger programs or like people who are good advocates for CACFP the food program for schools the free and reduced lunch uh-huh. a lot of those people make that argument that when you don't know when your next meal is coming or where it's coming from you can't succeed it's mm-hmm. just not going to it's you're always going to be at odds with the attempts to make right. success and a right. possibility for you and so really as far as what children need developmentally for a routine it circles around food yeah it's when i'm going to eat um because obviously we should have water always available i mean i believe we should have food always available if a kid says they're hungry but i mean if we're going by what's most practical in current school settings water is always available but food it has a routine we know what time we're going and then if a kid is still napping, a lot of times a good part to have in a routine is so food and nap, uh-huh. and then possibly food, nap, and when is a perfectly free total time to go use the restroom yeah. if you don't have one readily available yeah. all the time. So that's the outline of a routine. So when people ask me if I have a routine, uh, if I have a routine, I'm like, yeah, of course I do. <laughs> it's we eat, we play, we eat, we play, then some of us nap. Uh-huh. Then we eat, then we play. And yeah. that's that's a routine that the kids expect every day. It's uh-huh. consistent. And that's another buzzword that people use is consistency. Mm-hmm. They need to have consistency. And that's the exact same thing. The only consistency they need is that they know what to expect next. Right. It doesn't think, need to be that there's a structure. Right. It's all about trust. I mean, that's that's the value of quote unquote routines and consistency. consistency for children is that there's some stability they know that they can trust the environment and the people in the environment to meet their needs when they have a need. You know, so it's eating and sleeping. And I would even say uh, interaction. They need to be able to trust that it's going to be a positive interaction. But so often what I, what I have experienced in, you know, a lot of years of working with child care programs um, kind of all over the place is we get, so on the teaching side, on the program side, we, we we focus too much on our own need for that kind of structure. And that's programmed into us. It's not even a need. That's just, I think that, that ties into um, most adults getting their memories of, using their memories of elementary school to form what they think early childhood should look like too. On a family side of things, on parents, I think they just don't know what else to ask sometimes. They think that that's mm-hmm. what they're supposed to look for. So it's an opportunity for advocacy. For yeah. Sometimes. And I also, um, recently I've seen a lot of parents, and it's possibly because I used to work at a zoo. I don't know. <laughs> but I've seen a lot of parents who must have very strict school-like routines at home for their kids 
Um, because the second they take them to like the zoo, for instance, <laughs> um, and their kids let's are just say a zoo. <laughs> yeah, let's, let's say um, what what's a good uh, example? Maybe a zoo. Um, if they're at a zoo and their kids are just not having any of it, just tantrum after tantrum, being very upset, very un- insecure, the parents will immediately jump to defending what's going on by saying, oh, well, I just took him out of his routine. And it's like, well, if he didn't have such a strict routine at (laughs) home, then perhaps he wouldn't be so insecure right now that you've essentially blown it up. Because the thing is, if you want to get your kid on a routine that's very strict, then again, kids do crave consistency. So if you're going to do that, then it, if if it's not every single day like that, it's constantly going to be another battle for the days that it's mm-hmm. not like that. And so I'm not saying that if you have a strict routine, you should stick to it. I'm saying you shouldn't have one at all and instead <laughs> value consistency as knowing what to expect. Yeah. Because if your kid knows that from 10 to 2 on Saturdays, like around that time of day when the sun is in those parts of the sky, because <laughs> of, of course they're not thinking in minutes, <laughs> if... If you know, if your kid knows that during this time on Saturday it is our free play time, and you bring your kid to the zoo during that time, it's not going to be such a big deal because yeah. they're going to they're going to be used to being active during that time and having freedom during that time and doing something interesting during that time. Because if you're instead doing ten to eleven, we read books at home. Eleven to twelve, you can watch or you can watch TV, and then twelve to one, we eat lunch. Then it's just like. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the second you they... step out of that, the world's going to explode, right, and right. you're going to have tantrums. So we're actually making them less prepared for stuff that's coming later. Yeah, by by for by starting that early early dependence on things being always the same. Yeah, and and but in a weird way, you're not you're getting them set up for you're not setting them up properly for life, but for some reason you are setting them up properly for school, for school. because that's how school <laughs> right does things yeah. for some ungodly reason <laughs> and awesome if you were or if you if your school programs have block scheduling or something like that where it's a little more dynamic and uh-huh. different then i bet that expectation isn't so much on kids but still it's, it's it's a parenting thing right now that consistency is equal to um minute by minute planning mm-hmm. <laughs> and that your kids are always doing something because i think we talked in the last one that we need to know how to be bored yeah. We really need to know how to be bored. So constantly doing things is going to really suck when you can't be there to facilitate the doing things. Mm-hmm. So if you spend the first five years of your kid's life just constantly doing every single thing with them, then when it comes time and they're seven and you have to like get a job or something, get a part-time job. and seven? <laughs> no, I'm talking about the parents. Oh. <laughs> when your kid is seven, when your kid is seven, and you have to get like a part-time job or something, mm-hmm. or be gone for a night, then those kids get in either get depressed or get into trouble uh-huh. because they don't know what else to do because everything in their life has been planned for them. So, do you think that that is sort of a tendency that comes from modern parenting where parents just have more time on their hands to think about that kind of stuff because they're not doing all the you know, the, they have the dishwasher and they have the washing machine and they have all, do you know what I'm trying to say? Like they, yeah. cause we've talked a lot about playing school being a model for some teachers and teachers feeling like they need to be doing teachery things. 
And I think it's the same for some parents. Like they just feel like that's their yeah. job. Um, and uh, they haven't sort of stepped back to think about maybe how free their own childhood was compared to yeah. what they're doing with their own kids now. Yeah, and I think a lot of that has to do with whatever your social structure is in your town or in your community. Um, because I will say that the kids that I know who have the most structured pre-planned lives of any kids I've ever met are the ones whose parents post about them constantly on oh, Facebook. Oh, yeah. Because they want something awesome to put as their next Facebook post. They want to take a picture the minute it's happening. Uh And so you can, and I'm not trying to say that that's wrong or that you shouldn't be doing it, but it's a lot of times those parents who are constantly posting pictures of their kids doing the coolest thing all the time are also the same kids who are, who have their entire lives Mm pre-planned because the parents want to get some kind of cool parent points and it sucks because on the internet there is this really gross weird race for everybody to become the best parent ever or for everyone to be recognized as the best parent ever yeah i mean i think that has certainly broadened the stage but i don't know that it invented the problem because oh no i was a parent for a long time before the internet yeah i i always say it's so good that facebook was not around when my kids were because i would have been the most obnoxious i mean they're adults and i'm the most obnoxious (laughs) Facebook. yeah and definitely facebook is not what invented the problem but i will say (laughs) that it it the it depends on what your social structure is. If your sure. social structure of your life centers around Facebook, which isn't a bad thing, it's okay. I mean, I'm so we're glad all you said that. <laughs> humans are evolving, yeah. and we the way we socialize now is different than the way we did a hundred years ago. Yeah. So by no means am I saying that being on Facebook all the time is wrong because right. I'm on it all the time. That's how I build Same. my social structure because I have friends all over the world doing right? cool things, and I just want to talk to them, but. Um, they may never have met without Facebook. Yeah, but there are <laughs> there are there are communities where, and I know neighborhoods. I mean, I the neighborhood I live in right now. There's a group of moms who like to play. We're the best crawl. Yeah, just yeah. that, that we, phrase. Who like to, a group and it's not moms. on Facebook. I doubt most of them are on Facebook. Mm-hmm. I doubt it because they're the kind of parents who are who would say, "Oh, I don't want my kids' privacy." Oh, sure. Yeah, all that stuff. Um, yeah, but. These same moms are doing the exact same thing, but they're doing it for each other. They're putting on this show for each other because they're constantly fighting to see who's the best mom. And I guess there's kind of this big difference between the people who want to post about it now and the people who want to scrapbook it later. Or the intent between the difference of the two. So, like, I wish my scrapbooks were close (laughs) by. Yeah, because some people use Facebook as a live scrapbook. Some people use it as, I want everybody to know what I'm doing the second I'm doing it. So (laughs) there's like, there's like this weird difference because the stuff that you post and you want everyone to see it now is one thing, but the stuff that you post because you want to be able to look back on it Mm -hmm. says a lot about how you reflect on things. Yeah. And there's good, there's good in both of them. And for a lot of us, they coincide because I totally do the exact same thing. Um, But being able to recognize the intent between the two things. Mm -hmm. And then as a parent or as a caregiver, not making those things decide how you parent your child or decide your child's life for you is a big um, difference to be able to see. And it's, I think it's hard for a lot of people. And it's kind of hard for me as a business owner, because a lot of times I will take myself out of the moment with kids 
so that I can get a picture of something I think that uh-huh. that I think is really cool that they're doing so I can yeah. post it on my businesses right. page and attract more people uh-huh. to come check out my business. And I think it's the same thing because, like, part of me is doing it so the parents can see it. It's scrapbooking. The other part of me is doing it so everybody will come today and look at how awesome we are. Yeah. So I think probably we can safely say that whether you're an early childhood teacher, caregiver, or a parent of young children who is really valuing this idea of structure, that's really probably coming from some pressure we feel. Mm-hmm. from some outside force, whether that's yeah. the consumers are telling me as a program that that's what they're shopping for, or the other moms are watching me and I've got to, I've got to have some way of measuring what's going on and how well I'm doing. And, um, so that, yeah. that pressure is hard. Yeah. And it, it really gets on a lot of people in different fields I think specifically for this one, because of the fact that every decision we make is directly affecting children, Mm -hmm. because I get a lot of flack for the way that I treat public school teachers on Facebook or on social media, like the way that I talk about them. Mm -hmm. But it's not it's not so much I'm trying to shame them or that I think they're not doing a good enough job. I just believe that when it comes to this job we have to have the kinds of people that make us step back and look at what we're doing. Mm -hmm. Even if it's something that we're being forced to do or we feel pressured to do, even if it's something that when we're not doing it, we look like we're bad at our jobs, we need someone to say it so that we can step back and look at it and then sort of try to impact change as time goes on. Yeah. Because it's, I mean, it's not that, I never say anything horrible about teachers. Like the worst thing I will ever say about a public teacher is that, they need to be in a different career field if their priorities are out of line. But to a lot of people, that is the worst thing you could possibly say to a teacher. But I'm pretty confident. um, And and not to take anything away from your boat rocking superhero-ness. But (laughs) if you were talking face-to-face with a public school teacher, you would empathize with the pressures they're (laughs) under you, you it's the system that you're talking about and, 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 and just trying to, the same thing I do with, with early childhood teachers too. I just want us to get louder. I just want us to be fighting for what we know is right. Because if we who are doing the work, whether it's early childhood or public school, start pushing back consistently and collectively, what what's going to stop us from making those changes that we need to make? Yeah. But we all are, are a little bit nervous to do that, whether that's yeah. because we're not confident in our ability to speak and articulate our philosophy or we're afraid we'll lose our jobs or whatever. But, um, but keeping kids at the forefront is what we need to, what we need to be doing. Yeah. And I think that um, I would say that the big, the, the time that you know that you are going to be a good advocate or that you are qualified to be a good advocate mm-hmm. is the minute that whatever you post on Facebook or what you say behind closed doors is the exact same thing you would say to the person's face. Because mm-hmm. otherwise you're just gossiping in a child care center. <laughs> otherwise you're just being part of that horrible, horrible culture that yes. we get that we get tagged with all the time is that the gossip. Yeah. We're, we're the we're the profession of gossiping behind closed doors. Right. But the second that you can 
say those things to those to the second you can gossip to someone and then say that exact same thing to somebody's face it no longer becomes gossip right well then it's a problem solving conversation yeah and And so that's that's why i think that's where i think that my presence in the online worlds with the blogs and with facebook and with progressive perceptors kind of translated into real life is because for a while it was me kind of speaking my mind and I was too afraid to say anything to the people who mattered. But now I'm actually calling the public schools whenever they post something that I'm like, this is not right. Oh, and then I nice. go in and speak. I go in and speak to them uh-huh. to let them know how I feel. Like um, our public schools in Lincoln, Nebraska just posted that they're going to build facilities for early childhood within the next 10 years to essentially take over early childhood mm-hmm. as a part of their public right. school system. And I called today seeing if I could speak with the superintendent and whoever is going to be in charge of that task force so that I can make sure that my voice is heard. So being able to do that is important and it's really easy. Yeah. I want everybody to know it's one of the <laughs> easiest things ever. The second it sounds so scary. And then the second you do one, you're going to be doing it constantly. I, th- I think it's the same thing with people calling your Senator. Mm-hmm. It's so much similar. It's so scary. Yeah. And then you actually do it. And then you can't stop doing it. You're always you're always calling for every new thing, right. Um, right. even if you're the most introverted person on the right. planet. You could do it. And if it's scary, script it out a little bit for yourself first. Yeah. You know, not like yeah. you're memorizing a part for a play or whatever, but think it through a little bit and have a plan. You know, or do what I do: write your blog post, <laughs> go up to them, and then read it. <laughs> <laughs> I just want you to know what I'm saying about you on the internet. <laughs> it's only fair that I read this to you <laughs> since After everyone else has already read it. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's 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 perfect plan. Um sorry, I'm all sidetracked now from all that cluttering around in the cupboards that <laughs> Curtis was doing. Um so so describe like if so in Nebraska do you have to have a posted schedule? We do. In childcare programs so what does that have to look like for you guys um i'm pretty sure that the only requirement other than putting down when we do meals because and actually i don't think that's a requirement i think the only requirement that they say it has other than the meals and stuff is that you have a story time you have a set aside story time and so we just came up with a totally bullshit schedule (laughs) And it's amazing because you don't have to follow the schedule. There's no, there's nothing that says you have to follow the schedule. In most states that I see a schedule requirement, there's no requirement to follow it. Wow. So if you post it up and you feel like you're being dishonest for posting that and then not following it because you know better than to follow a stupid schedule for three-year-olds, <laughs> um, all you have to do is at the bottom put subject to change. Wow. Schedule is subject to change. Yeah. So if it says that at 11.30 we're eating lunch and today we were too busy outside to eat lunch, it doesn't matter that every four hours I have to legally offer kids meals mm-hmm. because we're going to eat a meal no matter what. Right. But it doesn't matter that we're past that four-hour mark if we're busy doing something else. If the kids are busy doing something else and we're subject to change, we will go back inside and eat food. And nobody's going to call the district attorney about it. It's it's amazing. (laughs) Yeah, Indiana, you have to have a schedule posted, and the regulations list some components that need to be included, but it's like mealtimes and arrest time or something. Um, 
so it doesn't have and it doesn't have to have times yeah on it it can just have like a sequence or yeah um the elements of the day um but the thing that trips us up sometimes or programs i've worked with is the food program cacfp because you have to have contracted meal times so the monitors know when to show up so but but even that's workable like, yeah, I mean, we're, just we're call part of... them and tell them that you're off schedule one day or something. And they yeah, yeah. we do CACFP and there's been a time where it's I mean, we're scheduled to eat at 1130 and our rep comes out and it's like 1135 and she wants to see us and we're not even remotely ready. <laughs> yeah. And so we'll just say, well, this is what you get for being a surprise visit <laughs> and you're going to have to sit here and wait. Right. Because we know you're not going to another lunch at 2 p.m. because that doesn't exist. Right. So you're going to sit yeah. here and wait for us to do I used to be the this. food monitor. <laughs> yeah. That was one yeah. of my jobs. I, I, um, in 12 counties, I did the family mm-hmm. child care food monitors for CACFP. And I'm like the worst eater, terrible nutrition. Mm-hmm. It was such a hypocritical place for me to be. <laughs> Well, and I, I feel would be like... reading their menus while I ate chocolate fudge pop tarts and drank diet coke and disqualified. But their I feel meals. like even a lot of scientists <laughs> are not super having any sort of consensus over CACFP oh, really? about whether or not it is appropriate, or whether or not it, or whether or not it this models a good into diet. A CACFP episode. Yeah, yeah. Okay, I so mean, me we can we'll go all over the place. There's a lot of. Well, first of all, CACFP comes from the USDA. Right. So the USDA has its own, you know, kind of embedded in, embedded agenda. Right. Um, not like agenda means bad. Like it, like agenda doesn't mean like Say goals. they have. It doesn't mean conspiracy, but right. they have goals. Yeah, they have goals, and I mean, I mean, have we all heard the story about government cheese being hidden in caves? No, but I love government cheese. Oh my god! Well, first I, of all, government I grew up cheese on is government amazing. Cheese. I love it. <laughs> but but I, right, I mean, it. our go- our government purposefully puts together um, advertising campaigns in order to boost certain aspects of the economy. And so, for a while, there was this whole boost about dairy and cheese specifically about and so it was government cheese and eventually they thought that there would be so much de- demand for this government cheese that they made so much of it they had they had prepared farmers to make so much of it that now it is hidden in caves are you telling me that somewhere there is a treasure trove of government cheese yep i will find out where it waiting, is real fast waiting for me i'm not joking. Um, i'm not joking it's That's for real good stuff <laughs> <laughs> um <laughs> Oh my god, it's amazing. Mashed potato flakes. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my gosh, I can't find where they are, but there's so many articles about government cheese caves. (laughs) Oh my god, my search history after doing this podcast is so weird. So weird. Cheese caves. I'm just writing that down. Missouri. Government cheese caves in Missouri. That's a really good band name. (laughs) so cacfp working for the usda the usda wants our agriculture to thrive it wants our agriculture economy to thrive so they are willing to make sure like with the choose my plate a lot of people will say that the portions there are not quite right but those portions just happen to be really great for our agricultural economy um, cause like, for it's like my so boyfriend, much better than any <laughs> eating habit I've ever had that I assume right. is great. 
Yeah. Right, and so like even my boyfriend when he came to visit the Lincoln Center, I, he knows a lot about nutrition and yeah. stuff like that. So the second he saw the choose my plate, he was like, "This is really what they want kids to be eating." It's like, oh, that, yeah, that is interesting. So I did a little more study, and it's just not, very few scientists can agree with that. So even even our structures for meals are very subjective. Yeah. Makes in order to, to bring that back to routines and yeah, structures. Thank you, thank you. So we have some like... structure to the podcast. <laughs> and some structure to my sad life. Right. right. <laughs> and so we bring you back around. <laughs> bring me back around to happiness. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, uh-huh. so I think it's really important for us to know that um, altruism is not going to get us very far in this field. Um, and I know that a couple of episodes we talked about how it'd be super cool if we had our own accrediting body yes. for early childhood <laughs> programs. Yeah. And when I when I talk about scale. that, yeah, Taggart scale, which I can't even remember what any of that stood for, yeah. but we'll it was very again. it was probably, it was probably dirty. Who knows? <laughs> um, <clears throat> having having a having a scale of things that's. To everything is known to be super subjective would be would be awesome yeah. especially for the people going out and marking things on the dirty taggart scale <laughs> if you're going around and every and you know everything's subjective and it's all about the way that the kids feel and the teachers feel mm-hmm. then cuz there's a lot to be said about the difference between clinical data and statistic data so when when people are doing studies the low bar for scientific study is statistics uh-huh. The high bar, so you have to pass over the low bar in order to prove yourself. And then the high bar is the clinical statistics. So that's how people feel. So if you know that, some, like, for instance, for medication, the the low bar is that most of the people for this medication feel do better on it than with a placebo. And then beyond that, what makes the medication approved or not is whether or not people feel better on the actual pill or the placebo. But for for education, we rely solely on statistic data, but not on clinical data at all. Uh Or if we do, very little of it is consequential, whereas it should be equally as consequential as the statistic data. So if if we know that our test scores in a school are super low, we tend to just leave it at that. But what if the clinical data there, how, how the kids and teachers feel is really high. What do we do with that? Does that matter? Or like, what can we do to make things matter? Because we can't measure feeling. How do you measure that? Subjectively. Yeah. (laughs) Right. So, I mean, that's these people seem happy. The Taggart scale. Yeah. What's the, (laughs) the quote? There's something like, you know, not everything that matters can be measured. Not everything that can be measured matters. Something like that. Um, and it's somebody famous said it. Someone famous. Someone famous. Um, Dash famous guy. Dash famous, <laughs> famous comma, someone. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah, I, t- I mean, I could go on and on about that, too. I've been. Uh, yeah, just just the idea that that we can isolate. How children feel about the environment they're being asked to learn in the people who are expecting them to learn things and how they feel about themselves as learners. We can't ignore that kind of stuff and just jam structure and uh, content and um, readiness 
into their yeah. little bodies without taking that <laughs> other stuff into account. We just can't. Yeah, and it definitely doesn't matter to these big school systems what clinical data shows because they want the hard data. Mm-hmm. They want they want to be looking at stuff from the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation to tell them how to do their next big task. And uh. no matter how much we love Bill and Melinda Gates and no matter how much I love Warren Buffett... Their studies are crack jobs. Like, yeah. <laughs> like you could you could get a better statistic about morale from a literal meth house <laughs> than you can from any study put out by either of these people because it's none none of it's clinical. None of it is how people feel. None of it is whether or not teachers have an easy time with the information given. Uh-huh. Um, and definitely, there is so much going on between childhood and college and middle school and college and even high school and college. Like, the time between high school and college totally, like, everybody grows a whole lot during that time. Mm -hmm. So you can't tell me that because of certain things you did in the early stages or in high school or in middle school that that made a kid's more successful in high school or in college or their career. Like, you just can't say that. Right. And, And no... No scientific study would be able to back that up because there's too there's too many factors, right. and there's too much clinical information passing through the floodgates. <laughs> Gates, but I'm shy. There's too much <laughs> clinical data flying under the radar uh-huh. that they don't see as being as having mattered as much as what they can measure with statistics. Right, right. I was and trying so, to figure out a Buffett pun to work no. in there. I couldn't do it. You can say something about a buffet. There's a buffet. There is a buffet of clinical data rushing through (laughs) Through the the (laughs) floodgates. Buffeting against the floodgates. (laughs) Oh my God. I am not not sorry. And and we, yeah, we, I think a lot of schools, because of grants and because of um, awareness. They just kind of take a lot of what these really well-intentioned companies put out as fact and just run with it. Mm-hmm. Or even, I mean, there's a lot of stuff that I see coming out of the um, Buffett Early Childhood Institute that means one thing, but then when our state Department of Education tries to apply it to the quality, they totally misinterpret it. Right. Like 100%. That, so. I have no patience for that kind of bastardization of good research. Yeah. <laughs> research. That's, um, it's like the whole pre-K, universal pre-K conversation. And, um, you know, we have, we, have, we have stuff that tells us that high quality early childhood education can benefit kids. Mm-hmm. But no one stops and says, okay, let's define our terms. What does high quality early education look like and consist of? We think, oh, that means starting them earlier is better. Yeah, <laughs> and and we we just screw it all up um, with good intentions. But you know what they say about good intentions? What do they say about good intentions? Do you really not know? I don't know. The road to hell is paved with good intentions. I've never heard that. Oh in my, my god. Life. Well, don't assume that I know things because you know what they say about people who assume. <laughs> anyway. I do. Someone just said it to me yesterday, actually. 
gross. Anyone who says that in a serious context. Anyway. Gross. <laughs> um, but right. yeah, so, so as far as science goes, I think we can all rest easy about structure and yeah. routines because the science, it's all subjective. Yeah. And, the, and any good scientist putting out this research is probably notating that it's all very subjective and there's more to be said clinically um and especially when because i mean if we want to talk about all the research that backs up play and free play it is all backed up by both statistic and clinical data so if the statistics are going to go ahead and say that they do better in school past third grade whereas everybody else tends to plateau i mean they plateau with everybody but then they tend to do better with more life skills then they're also studying the clinical data how well are these people or how well are these kids working with each other Uh um how are how are their parents reporting that their quality of life is um stuff like that where it's just totally clinical because a lot of studies on just the academics stop at the statistics because they think that's all that the schools are going to need to write their next grant but then these studies that are being done by scientists who are not employed by educational systems and not empl- not employed by NAEYC yeah. or the Buffett Early Childhood Institute. Yeah, yeah it, they tend to wind up saying that the clinical data is often more important than the statistic data yeah. because it's not here for the purpose of writing your next grant <laughs> or of selling you this new box curriculum. Yeah, exactly. Or of selling you this new routine. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I, you know, I think... Because I just keep going back to that 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 initial question, you know, do you have a structure? Do you have a routine? Um, for teachers, that's kind of a moment of truth, where you either agree with the parent that there should be that structure and routine, um, or if you don't, um, you panic because now you're being questioned. Um, so I guess I, I, what I'm trying to get to is know what you believe in. And if you're in a program that claims to be play-based or child-led or any of those kinds of phrases, but that's not really what you believe, you're never going to be happy at work. <laughs> and the children that I'm sure you really do care about aren't going to be better off for that. And there's a bajillion programs you could go find a home in that, that fit what yeah. you really believe. But if that is really what you believe... And, and the kind of stuff that we're talking about in terms of what kids really need in, as far as structure and consistency resonates with you, just practice so that you're comfortable talking about it when people question it and you don't have that automatic panic. Um, yeah. And I know that's hard. I still get a panic automatic response when someone calls and says, are you just a daycare or are you a school? Um, so I, and I've been doing this for a long time and answering that question for almost 30 years, but, uh, you just you have to practice at it to be able to talk about it Um, yeah and um definitely i keep talking i keep saying things that are in my workshops on this podcast so eventually 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 no one's going to be paying me for these (laughs) workshops anymore um aka hire me um the, the i when people ask or when parents ask if i have structure or if, if my state rep asks, or if the Department of Education asks, my answer to the question, do we have structure? And I'm going to say, we have invisible structures called bridges 
between each and every one of us. There's a bridge between me and every single one of these kids. Aww. That is the only structure that we need. Uh-huh. And we build that every single day with trust. Uh-huh. And so nothing else is going to matter to me as much because I can't get your child to succeed unless I have that structure built. And so you let me worry about that, and then everything's going to be okay. We're all going to be okay. We've got, as long as we're building these bridges, we'll be okay. Uh Um, And I think it's really important that if you're going to be the type of person that's building bridges with these kids, that you also build these bridges with all the parents. Oh, absolutely. And that's, I mean, that's one of the biggest things is that if you can't build a bridge with a parent, it, you just can't. It's, then that's kind of the time where you say goodbye. Yeah. But if you're a teacher in that situation, then you just have to keep doing everything that you can to build that bridge, mm-hmm. even well, if it takes a lot or even yeah. if it because <laughs> yeah. no matter no matter what you do, a lot of parents are going to disagree with it if you're well, if you're the most academically structured place in the world yeah. or if you're the yeah. most play-based place in the world. I mean, I think part of that is the protective protective urge. Mm-hmm. You know, that if whatever the, that parent has decided they believe is best for their child, that's what they're fighting for. Yeah. Um, and so there will be some that fight with us and some that fight against us. Yep. Um without relationship, we're not going to be able to influence any of them that, yeah. that don't want to come in. So your structure should be about the relationships you make. Your consistency should be about the routines you put in place. And the routines you put in place should be about the children's needs. (laughs) That was very, very effective (laughs) summation. Let me write a book. Of a little bit of a weird... Also go Google the government cheese caves. (laughs) Of Missouri. The great government (laughs) cheese caves of Missouri. Because I'm going to go on a trip and visit them. I want to. Just lick the walls. <laughs> this tastes just like a craft single. It'll be like Willy Wonka, but with yes, but with cheese, <laughs> with not cheese cheese, snowing, with fortified dairy product. <laughs> hey, flakes mashed potatoes are the best things ever. Right. <laughs> no. Oh, they're amazing. Okay, Ugh. all right, you. Okay, all right, all right. Hey, it's going to get us through the, they're going to get us through the next famine, I promise you. (laughs) And we're getting dangerously close to one. This is America, (laughs) and I would die for your right to make outrageous claims. (laughs) That's where we'll leave that. Well, Um, I guess you'll be begging me for my flaked mashed potatoes when Donald Trump rations the country. We'll be living in the cheese caves. (laughs) I am so sorry, folks. (laughs) This is a great episode. This, this could be my best shit. <laughs> um, all right. Anything else you want to say I ask with some trepidation? You know what? I could say something really inappropriate, but I won't. Okay. Wait till I, <laughs> wait till I hit stop record. Don't forget what it was going to be so you can tell I, me. I promise you it's not about rubbing nipples this time. Oh, gee, many Christmas. Okay. Well, on that note, folks, thanks, Travis, for talking to me again. Thanks, everyone, for listening. We'll we'll behave ourselves next time. <laughs> yeah, please don't hit please. unsubscribe after this one. Please keep listening. <laughs> <laughs> Bye, everybody.
This has been an Explorations Early Learning Upstairs Studio production. Oh.